I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations, folks. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Ah, I'm your host, Page. Here's my coffee, my good old Mickey Mouse mug. Um, good morning, Mr. Gallagher. Good to see you, my friend. Today uh, is one of those days where it's like coming to an oasis uh, in the middle of a desert sometimes. Um, I have passages of scripture that uh, I've fallen in love with throughout the years. And um, and I just kind of forget where they are, you know, but I mean, I just, and, and then when you stumble upon them again, it's like finding this treasured, treasured memory that means so much. That's what today is. And today we're going to be talking a little bit more about Abram. God is going to make a covenant with Abram. And the content of that covenant and its symbolism is an, another linchpin in my thought that Genesis is not just the history of Israel. It's my history. Abram is not just the uh, father of Israel, which he is. But it's he's also, he's the father of anybody of faith, which includes me. And today's, today's episode in chapter 15 is one of my favorites. Good morning, Chief. Good to see you, my friend. All right, so let's just get right to it. Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Now, this Hebrew metaphor, remain childless, uh, it could mean to live childless, or to die childless. So he might say, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I'm living without a child or I'm going to die without a child? Abraham was perplexed, perhaps in part because childness was seen as a sign of divine judgment. God's promising him all these blessings and yet there's no child. You know, sometimes we just don't know as much as we think we do. The thought that childlessness would be a sign of divine judgment, isn't that kind of dumb? God is sovereign, all right? He is sovereign. He, Abram recognized that. He calls him sovereign Lord. The word, I call God, he is the God of all my circumstances. El Roy, El Roy, I think is how you pronounce it. The God who sees me. He's the God of all my circumstances. So when you recognize his sovereignty, you're recognizing that all of the circumstances in your life are under God's hand. God is in control, complete, total control. 
And so Abraham's saying, but God, you're in total, complete control. I get that, but I don't see any children. And he goes on to say, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. All right, the practice of a childless couple adopting a slave as their heir is attested in other places throughout that culture. So Abram was taking steps to make Eliezer, Eliezer of Damascus his, the one who would inherit his estate. You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. This next statement is one of the most important statements in the Bible. And Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, this whole credited to him, it means like made him. Um, it's like uh, if I make a, you know, when, when, it, when money is credited back into my account, my credit card sometimes has to reverse charges and, and money's put back into my checking account or, or uh, money from elsewhere is credited to me, it's given to me. God gave Abram righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. And God gave him righteousness. You might say God made him righteous. Now, the word righteousness really has carries with it a lot of heavy-duty meaning. But in essence, the short version would be right standing. Abram believed the Lord. And God credited him righteousness. Abram was in right standing with God. The core of the belief of justification by faith. That's what this is. Paul talks about it in Romans. By this act, Abram became the father of all who would believe in Messiah. See, Abram's a father of Israel. All right? Israel, out of Israel come the prophets, the word. Uh, from Abram came Moses. Then you have Israel, the prophets, the words of God. And then you have the Messiah, and the Messiah is responsible for grafting in Gentile and Jewish people together into the new Israel. The old Israel was put in place to give birth to the new Israel. That's why Genesis is not just the history of Israel, it's my history. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Now, it sounds like Abram is being a little bit of a whiner, right? <laughs> Always, it sounds like he's a doubting Thomas. He's not really. You could look at this statement in a different way. It could be stated, Sovereign Lord, what do I need to do to bring this event about? It's based on the fact that he believed God. He's credited him for righteousness. Now he's saying, God says, all this land's going to be yours. And Abram could be saying, okay, I believe you. What's next? 
Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So he's not asking in unbelief. He's saying, what's next? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. All right, half of each one of these slaughtered animals is put on one side of a path, if you will. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down to the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but... I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. All right, let's get back up here. The sun was setting, Abram fell into deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Um, You know, the Lord's getting ready to visit him in his dreams. And you would think, thick and dreadful darkness, what's that got to do? That's scary. You know, when I first bowed my knee, willingly bowed my knee to Christ, it was in a church service in boot camp. And I heard this uh, black gospel choir kicking it in. And as a musician, I was stunned at what I was hearing and was seeing. I... I'd grown up a couple times for a little while in my youth. I'd gone to a Nazarene church. They didn't act like that in that Nazarene church. I mean, this this choir was dancing. This choir was moving. And the musicians were playing while the preacher was preaching. I mean, it was, it was church like I had never seen it. And I was stunned. And I had my eyes closed and I'm listening to this music. And I physically felt the presence of Jesus next to me. That's the only way I can describe it. And the first thing that happened was that I was overwhelmed with terror. I was frozen in place in terror. And these words went through my head, and I didn't know they were Bible words. Depart from me, you wicked, to the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I knew I deserved death. It was dreadful. It was terrible. It was terrifying. I was overwhelmed with terror. It's kind of what's happening here. He's getting ready to have a meeting with God, all right, in this vision. And the first thing he experiences is a thick and dreadful darkness. Now, for me, for the first time in my life, I actually got a glimpse, just a tiniest bit of a glimpse of the horror of my sin nature. And the fact that I was in the presence of a sinless God, didn't know what that meant. Those were the words in my head. Sinful man in the presence of a sinless God. And if the gates to hell had opened up behind me, I would have walked through them because the sentence was sure. I was guilty. I was a sinful man. I deserved death because the wages of sin is death. Well, here it is. Abram's killed the sacrifices, these animals, put them on both sides. And all of a sudden in his sleep, he's overwhelmed with this thick and dreadful darkness. And God gives him a message, a dark message. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. Not a pleasant thing. 
I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, but they're going to be slaves for 400 years. But you will die and be buried at a good old age. And you'll go into your ancestors in peace. Now, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, this this is, I just saw this it's symbolic of uh, when Moses took his people out of Egypt, they were led by what? A, a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Well, here we are, smoking fire pot. There's a cloud, blazing torch, pillar of fire, symbolic of what happened, was going to happen with Moses in those 400 years later. Uh, appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river to the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites, all the Ite brothers. All this land is going to be yours. Now, this covenant experience is huge. And it carries with it implications that hint at the deeper magic that we talked about at the very beginning of our study with Genesis. Remember the story with Aslan where, oh yes, John, even the frozen chosen. <laughs> yes, brother. <laughs> if, if the frozen chosen weren't let in, then God wouldn't let me in because I'm, I'm Presbyterian at my heart. But remember at the beginning of Genesis, we talked about um, how Aslan was killed by the, the witch, the wicked witch. And when the girls came to mourn him, he came back to life and they said, we thought, we, we thought you died, what happened? And he said, oh, I died. But he says, if the witch had only known of the deeper magic that existed, because she's correct, a traitor that uh, I could sacrifice myself on behalf of a traitor, but what she didn't realize is that if, the older magic states that if one totally innocent gives his life in exchange for one totally guilty, death will begin to march backwards. <laughs> there is a deeper magic, and we're going to see that in this covenant that God made with Abram. Abram cuts these animals in half, puts one half in this side, one half in this side. Now, this was a covenant-making practice where if uh, John, you, or Bill, or I were to make a covenant with each other, say, uh, I was going to buy a piece of property from you, and I was going to work it for 10 years, give you the proceeds of it, that profit for 10 years, and then after which that land would be mine. We would walk between these sacrifices, these animals that have been split apart, and holding hands, saying, in effect, so be it done unto either of us if either one of us breaks this covenant. In other words, if I break the covenant and don't give you the profits from the land for 10 years, you would have the right to kill me like these animals on either side of us. If after 10 years, you didn't grant ownership of the land to me, then I would have the right to kill you as done to these animals on either side of us. But in this vision, God is walking through 
these split sacrifices by himself. Abram does not walk through it with him. Now, this is really, really stinking important. God, by doing this, was saying, if either you or I break this covenant, Abram, I will be put to death. Wait a minute. God can die? How is that even possible? But that's what's hinted at here. By God himself walking through the sacrifice, he's saying, Abram, this is a covenant between you and I. If either you and I break this covenant, I will die. I will take the penalty of this breaking this covenant upon myself. Now, you already see where this is going, right? Yeah, you're pretty smart that way. But think about this for a second. This covenant was about giving land to Abram, the land that's coming, all the Ite brothers that we read about. But it carries a deeper magic. You know, God would make a covenant with Moses later on. Let me turn to this one right here. It's called the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt make not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt, put my glass off here. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You will remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. You will honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Break this covenant, you die. The wages of breaking, the the result of breaking this covenant is death. Well, Jesus says in the New Testament that we can't keep any of these. Really, he said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've killed him in your heart. You've broken commandment number six. If there is something in your life more important than God, even though you attend church every day, even though you have all the outward trappings of being a godly man, if there's something in your life that you would take up before you would take up for God, you've broken number one. Huh. If you've ever lied, you've broken number nine. And here's the truth. Jesus says, we've broken these commandments. We can't keep these commandments. Yet, these are the commandments that say, if you want fellowship with God, this is what you have to do. Oh, Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. If you break this, you deserve death. Just like I knew when I met God for the first time in that boot camp church service, depart from me, you wicked, to the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I knew that I was a sinful man in the presence of a sinless God, and I deserved death. That's the price. The wages of sin is death. But guess what? There's a deeper magic, and God walked through those halved animals, in essence saying, Paige, if you break any term of this covenant, I'll die for you. I will pay the price for your sin. That's that covenant. That's what God is doing with Abram. He's telling Abram, look, if either you or I break this covenant, so be it done unto me as it's done to these animals on either side. It's God swearing by himself saying, This is going to happen. You will inherit this land, whether or not you are faithful to me. And we're going to find out later, even Abram, who is considered righteous by God, even Abram is capable of breaking this covenant, is capable of sinning, just like you and I. We are very capable of sinning. And if we break this 
command, if we break this covenant, death is required. The wages of sin is death. And just like he did with Abram, God says, Paige, if either you or I break this covenant, I'll die. And how did God die? In the form and person of Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, Messiah. Paige, if either of us breaks this commandment, this covenant, I will die and fulfill the price. That's what happened. That's what he promised Abram, and that's his promise to you and to I. How can anybody turn their back on a deal like that? Fellowship with God is glorious. To wake up every morning knowing that I am known by the creator of the universe, that he has paid the price to secure my salvation. Now, here's the here's other thing about that covenant that uh, I didn't realize until fairly recently in thinking about it. Once the terms of a covenant are fulfilled, it's forever. It's done. Whatever happens after that is based on what happens during that covenant. For instance, John, uh, if you, Bill, or I uh, made this deal about the land, you know, I give you profits for 10 years, and then you give me the land after 10 years. After 10 years, you've received the profit. You transfer ownership of the land to me. Then for the rest of eternity, that's set in stone. That doesn't change. John, you can't come back and take the land back. Bill, you can't come and take the land back. I can't go and take my profits back from you. It's done. It's set in stone. It is forever. The minute Christ died and rose, it was done forever. God fulfilled every aspect of the covenant he has with us. Another reason why you can't lose your salvation because it's done. It's set in stone. There's nothing more to add to this covenant. God said, if you disobey or if I disobey, as if God could, if you break this covenant or I break this covenant, I'll die for you. And then at the end of that death, there's nothing more. Covenant's fulfilled. All the tenets of the covenant are fulfilled. Everything is done, set in stone. When you bow your knee to him and you accept what he has done for you and you declare him Lord and declare your allegiance to him, the wages of sin is death, that's true. But the gift of God is eternal life. Death was required. Death was provided. Covenant sealed. It cannot be reopened and renegotiated. Not going to happen. So if you are in him today, if you can call yourself a true believer of God, know this, you are a true believer forever. Can't lose it. If you're not a believer, if you have not bowed your knee to him, know this, the minute you do, the minute you enter into that covenant with him, know this, that the covenant has been completed. You will be saved forever to the utmost. It is the greatest joy in my life to know that I wake up every morning in the care of a God who knows me, in the care of a God who has adopted me into his family. It gives me great joy to know that my wife, whom I love dearly, 
is adopted into his family and that our relationship will continue forever and that we can't lose what we have. Why? Because because the requirements of the covenant have been completed. If either one of us sin, God will die. And guess what? We did sin and God died. Covenants completed. The tenets of the covenant have been met and exceeded. This passage of scripture in Genesis 15 is huge. Abram believed. And God, as a result, God credited it to him as righteousness. He believed in God and was right, made righteous. God made a covenant. If either of us break this covenant, I will die, Abram. God makes that covenant with us. Page, here's the covenant. If you sin, I'll die for you. That's in essence what happened. He died for me. The covenant has been completed. It's set in stone. Can you see why this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible? This one chapter is one of the solid foundation stones of Paul's entire treatise in Romans. Wow. Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well done. Mm, 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 mm. All right. Well, that, good sirs and ladies, is it. I'm your host, and I am out of here. I will see you on Monday with Genesis chapter 16. God's blessings to you. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.